Hello, a very warm welcome to number two in our podcast series. Uh, I'm John Johnson, VP for NSF Health Sciences. Um, the very first podcast we did was about best practices in communication, but we've got some different subjects uh, that we're going to talk about today. I'm joined once again by Mandy Johnson. Hi, hi, good morning. So uh, the first one went really well. There was lots of hits and likes, but uh, some of the listeners wanted a bit more conversation. So here we go. So how's COVID lockdown going for you, Mandy? Not too bad. It's sunny outside. I can get in the garden. You can't. You're holed up in the office pretty much all day. You do seem to be getting better at Zoom, though, when we're able to talk to the kids. Well, that's true. I'm kind of linked in with uh, Zoom all the time at the moment. I'm turning into a PowerPoint queen as well. It's been tough, but uh, we're getting through it, aren't we? We are, we are, except when you get me up at 4am for three or four days on the trot to... What were you doing, a training course with Hong Kong on Zoom? That's right, I was, I was. Right. So this time round, we're going to be talking about product disposition. And uh, my first uh, real message here is that this isn't about product release necessarily. Sometimes the SOP is called product release SOP, but actually sometimes we've got to make the tough decision to reject, haven't we? Yeah. And that's never a popular decision, but often the right decision. Um, but let's go back to when we first met Mandy. I was studying uh, to be a qualified person with David Beck Associates back in 1993. And we met where the batch record review would be done. And that was in Central Records, wasn't it? That's right, yep. And I remember seeing you in your polka dot culotte ensemble, <laughs> sashaying across the uh, Central Records there. Uh, you caught my eye far more than batch records, I remember. Yeah, don't talk about that dress. <laughs> yeah, it was a strange place, a bit of a bear pit. There was always someone crying or shouting and somebody having a meltdown seething in the corner. It was a real place of pressure, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, batch release is a tricky area, isn't it? It is. And uh, ultimately, one of the main things I wanted to get over was how uh, important it is to have a collaborative approach where you actually take people with you. You know, we work with production and engineering and QC and technical support. And it's important to bring them along with you, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It is a team approach, isn't it? Yeah, and ultimately we've got to help them understand the decision. We've got to invest in their know why as much as the know how. Investing in the team is so important, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Somebody makes it and somebody releases it, but we are all part of that whole process. Absolutely. So tell me about some of your time uh, working as a QA officer in that kind of uh, ex experience and that kind of pressure, Mandy. Well, you remember when you first saw me doing uh, batch disposition in central records, we were obviously remote from the production line and uh, there was a change of approach and all the QAOs were moved to do their batch review and their line uh, inspections on the on actually next to the line so our production oh sorry our batch batch review was um gowned up no makeup oh, sensible I remember shoes that. <laughs> i remember that it was hilarious seeing the uh, ladies have to uh, get wet wipes and wipe that makeup off and remove their false eyelashes was hilarious to the lads that was for sure yeah, we just we all looked the same as production operatives and it was a good thing. We learned so much. We understood the process end to end. We understood what were the critical parameters and why they were critical. 
So what was the benefit to the operation of having you actually alongside the lines? Do you know, I think we actually made more, more product because we were able to um, do self-inspection and almost internal audit on a daily basis. We were just on the line. It's a pressured environment though, isn't it? Tell us about uh, one of your colleagues. I, I think he, he really struggled at times with some of the pressures of the job, didn't he? Yeah, as we were just talking about batch disposition, there is an expectation that all batches will be released. And when a QAO and then ultimately the, uh, the QP at the final end release has to, um, has to reject a batch, it, it's very, very tough. And I've seen people, you know, kind of resort revert to tears um, and then and then it impacts on their life absolutely and I remember myself a production manager uh, didn't agree with a decision that I made about rejecting a batch that he had manufactured and when I walked in his office he literally picked me up by the lapels of my white lab coat and he was banging me literally banging me against the wall telling me John you will release this batch it was uh, really uh, really quite a funny situation I reminded him of it um, just a few years ago, 25 years on, he still remembers it. Did you release the batch? No, of course I didn't, Andy. <laughs> I didn't, but uh, I also got him back as well. But I'll have to plead the Fifth Amendment on that because what I did was probably, um, well, let's just leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> the other uh, interesting uh, uh, story I remember from those times was when the quality director wanted to be sure that people knew their job, knew the process, knew the key steps of the process but particularly how they related to the Orange Guide. He, he was really keen for people to apply the Orange Guide or Udrelex Volume 4 in the workplace. And he actually got somebody to stand on a chair and, and recite part of it, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, it really focuses the mind, doesn't it? And um, I kind of did get that everyone needs their own copy of, you know, of the Orange Guide. You've got to have it with you at all times, really. Yeah, I had probably 20 or 30 post-it stickers so that I could uh, find the right section very quickly. But, you know, it's not been easy, is it? There's been some crises we've, we've had to deal with. And uh, yeah, just remind me of a couple of those, Mandy. Just team me up for those stories. Oh, well, you mean when you come home frazzled at the end of the day? <laughs> you know, tell us what they were. I feel like I've been frazzled for 25 years, to be honest. Um, I remember when I was manufacturing and uh, releasing a Factor 8 product that was uh, a real dependent product for haemophiliacs and we found that the raw material, which was the pig's blood, was actually uh, significantly infected with porcelain pyovirus. So we had to think very hard about whether we would continue to release that product. We had to talk to MHRA, we had to write very detailed scientifically justifiable risk assessments but we had to keep patient safety at the front of our mind. Equally, do you remember that time when I had a number of process simulation trials that were unacceptable? Uh, we had some uh, poor results and the production uh, director wanted to man keep manufacturing at risk. So he actually made around 10 million pounds worth of stock at risk. That's a big risk. Yeah, big pressure. it was a big pressure and I was sitting on uh, that amount of stock uh, pending the result of these um, these tests. But fundamentally, you can't compromise in sterility assurance, can you? No, absolutely not. I also remember when I moved from a small molecule drug product manufacturer to biotech and I had to start thinking very hard about how I would do batch record review and how I would disposition batches accurately. 
because the batches were so the batch records were so huge Monday. So like how huge? Well, you know, typically let's say a tablet manufacturing batch record could be somewhere in the region of six inches to twelve inches thick as a, a single file. Okay. In uh, the biotech world, from from cell bank to final drug products, it would actually come in on a pallet. Really? Yeah, there could be half a ton of paperwork to look through. So the process of batch record review has to be really focused. So you can't look at every single piece of paper for every batch, can you? No, and you're relying on some of your team as well to do some of that for you. But for me as the qualified person, I always looked at certain things each and every time. Right, okay, yeah, what were they? Well, things like verifying that the critical process parameters were complied with each and every time. Right. That the in-process checks were satisfactory. That there were any if there were any change controls, deviations or suspected OSs, I would look at the detail of those really forensically each and every time. And of course, we were always concerned about the complexity uh, behind the certificate of analysis, particularly for biotech products. So I was very detailed in confirming the accuracy and precision and data integrity of the C of A. Okay, and did you visit the site? Well, there was times as well where I was releasing batches that were manufactured uh, in overseas in all different parts of the world. And that's obviously a lot tougher, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. So audit comes in, I guess. And a lot of it is down to trust. Yeah, yeah. You can't have trust without verification though, can you? No, absolutely. And you need to have the people on the ground being your eyes and ears and you trust them. Yes, that's right. And if you uh, lose trust, you have to do more verification. And uh, if, you, if you have trust, you can do less verification, but you've still got to be focused on certain key things. Yeah. You know, with fragmented global supply chains, I would look at things like audit history, key performance indicators from the management review, quality technical agreement, particularly in terms of how they manage deviations and change control. Yeah, at the end of the day, you can't rely on everybody. The book stops with you, doesn't it? It does. And we, I would always look at periodic quality reviews and also now, of course, the contamination control strategies that are a new requirement in Annex 1, particularly for sterile products, but also a very good tool for other dosage forms as well. Oh, yeah, good point. So ultimately, we're trying to meet Annex 16 within Udrilex Volume uh, 4. That's our, uh, our key reference. But, you know, looking out the window, Mandy, the sun's shining, the birds are tweeting. I think I need to get outside. So let's wrap this up. What, what would be your three, your top three take-home messages from this podcast? Um, I guess that's pretty simple, isn't it? Know your job, walk the job, and invest in the people around you. That's what I'd go for. Great. I think I'd add to that that you've got to know Udrilex Volume 4 back to front. You've got to bring people along with you. And ultimately, in a crisis or in normal operation, you've got to give focus. You've got to give focus to what assures product quality, patient safety, license compliance. And you've got to make sure that your patients, your end users have, have the right availability to the drugs you manufacture. You know, ultimately, for regulatory bodies around the world, the big priority just now is drug shortages. And that's a tough crisis for everyone to yeah, deal with. Yeah, true. So anyway, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, we're going to post this uh, podcast on our website, nsf.org. We'll have it on our app. 
we'll have it on LinkedIn and we'll send it direct to our valued existing clients and probably family members as well maybe. <laughs> so um, yeah in our current situation let's uh, try and work as hard as we can not to add to the drama to focus on what's truly important be there for each other and help keep everyone aligned to the purpose of their roles which after all is about preserving and improving world health so thanks mandy good to talk to you again yeah and you john bye thank you